Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our service uh, here this morning at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And This morning we come to John chapter 17, so I encourage you to grab your Bible and, and turn with me to this great prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find here in John 17. We've come to the end of really the, the private ministry of the Lord with his disciples in what we know as the Upper Room Discourse. And then here in chapter 17, we, we get to hear a prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to look at that really over the next couple weeks. Uh, but to, today we, we want to look at John 17. So follow along as we read this passage of Scripture. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was." I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you, have sent, that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the, wor- in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. In the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. 
Today we want to look at the, the, the idea of Jesus being the intercessor. We have seen it last week as the great teacher, and today we want to see him as the intercessor. You know, one of the, the, the greatest and most comforting statements that someone might say to us is, hey, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Now, uh, I have to admit that in the Christian circle and in the church, sometimes those are just glib words that we really don't mean. They're just kind of Christian language. They're just kind of what we say, almost like, hey, have a good day. Uh, when someone shares something with us and, and uh, you know, the, we don't really know what else to say, we say, hey, well, I'll be praying for you. And, and uh, a lot of times we mean well with that, but we don't really follow through on that. But I'm thinking about those people who, when they tell you, hey, I'm praying for you, boy, you know that they mean it and, and that you are on their prayer list and that they are truly praying for you. You know, there is no greater power in all of the universe than the power of prayer. And there are some people who are just known for their ability to pray. I have a friend in Columbus that every time I go to the church there, my dad's church there in Linworth, uh, he says to me, hey, Dave, I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. You're on my list on Tuesdays. And, and, you know, I know he is praying for me and he cares for me. And, and that just encourages my heart. You know, uh, think of some of the great prayer warriors uh, that maybe you know. Uh, uh, one that comes to my mind is a man by the name of George Mueller. And, and there are so many stories about George Mueller. But George Mueller, Mueller established an orphanage and he cared for many children. And he did so without ever telling anybody his needs except for the Lord. And man, read some of the stories about how God answered his prayer when he never really asked anybody. And yet people would, would send money or make donations or whatever, and as God laid them on their heart. You know, there are a lot of people, I probably shouldn't say a lot of people, there are many people within the church, many people maybe that you know, that we call prayer warriors, uh, as they have truly learned how to pray. And, uh, you know, when a true prayer warrior is praying for you, that's encouraging. You know, wouldn't you like to have to know that someone is praying for you? Well, the fact of the matter is we have someone who is praying for us who is far greater than George Mueller or far greater than my friend in Columbus or far greater maybe than your mom or, or whoever your prayer warrior may be. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 7. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 the Lord, that Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He is interceding for the saints. And as he intercedes on our behalf, you know, what are some of the things that he's praying for? And, and you know, when I think of my, my prayer life, when I think of the prayer life of many Christians, our, our prayers are focused in on, you know, things that are going on in our lives and health concerns and, and different things along those lines. And all those things are really important. But when Christ prays for us, what is it that he's praying for? Well, just before he goes to the cross, we see him praying. We've come through the upper room discourse. They are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you will. And here in John 17, as he prays, we see him interceding for his own in this great chapter. It's called the, the high priestly intercessory prayer, if you will, of the Lord. And in this great prayer, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. 
but not just for his disciples. He prays for all those who would believe in him. And that includes us here this morning. You know, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, we often think about, or we usually are referring to that prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, and, and we always see that as the Lord's Prayer. We refer to that as the Lord's Prayer. That's really the disciples' prayer, if you want to be technical about it. Here in John 17, I think we find the true Lord's Prayer. As we see Jesus pouring out his heart to the Father, as he knows that his departure is, is right at hand. And think about it. As we read John 17, and I know some 2,000 years later, maybe it doesn't doesn't strike us as much but here as we come to John 17 it's almost like the veil is being able to be drawn back and we are permitted to listen as Jesus prays as he communes with the father as he has that special moment with God the father and from this prayer as we listen into this prayer, we can learn something about what is on the heart of our Lord and how he intercedes for us. You know, as we study the prayer this morning and, and we see today, there are three clear sections of his prayer. There are three specific things that Jesus prays for. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is this. Today we're going to look at, at this as an overview. We're going to take the entire chapter. And we're going to look at all three of these things kind of on a surface level. Just here's what he's praying for. Boom, boom, boom. Then over the next three weeks, we're going to take each one of those requests individually. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it and see exactly what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is praying for. So today, it's an overview of the entire chapter. And then the next three weeks, we'll go into each one of these specific things. The first thing he prays for in verses 1 through 5 is really for himself. As he focuses in on the completion of his own mission and the request that his eternal glory might now be restored to him. The second thing that he prays for is for his disciples, for their needs as, as he is now going to leave them. He is departing them. He's leaving them in this world and he prays for them. And the third thing for which he prays is for all of those who will come to believe in him as the gospel message is proclaimed by his followers. And so he prays for all believers of all generations, if you will, in verses 20 through 26. So uh, verses 1 through 5, he prays for himself that his glory may be restored, the completion of his mission. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples as he leaves them. And in verses 20 through 26, he prays for all of those who will believe. So again, this morning we're going to look at this as an overview, and over the next three weeks then we'll, we'll look at those things individually. But let's kind of get a, a, a picture of this prayer this morning. And uh, the first request that he makes is he prays for himself in verses 1 through 5. And he says in uh, verses, verse 1, Father, the hour has come glorify your son that your son also may glorify you he prays for himself now having said that we have to understand this is not a selfish prayer 
I have to admit, when I pray for myself, a lot of times it's selfish prayer. I, I don't mean it to be, but it, it, it really focuses on me, and, and, and it's really about my needs. And God, what, what will you do for me? Here the Lord prays for himself, but it's not a selfish prayer at all, because what we see in verse 1 is the hour has now come for Christ to carry out the redemptive purpose for which he came. He, he came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, and the time to do that has now come. You know, when I think about that, I think of waiting for something, knowing something is coming down the road, and, and the anticipation of that event. The whole earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ has been focused on this one event, and now the hour has come. You know, I remember when we got engaged, Loanna and I got engaged, and we set our wedding date, and, and we began to focus in on that day. And I remember in uh, every week at prayer meeting, uh, she would come, and she worked in an office at the time, and every, every Wednesday night she would come, she would hand me a slip of paper, and that slip of paper just literally said, this is how many days until we get married. And the anticipation built and built and built until finally uh, it was the wedding day. You know, I think of kids at Christmas as we, we wait and we anticipate Christmas Day. You know, and the build up for Christmas Day. And finally, it's Christmas Eve and the day has come. Sometimes it's the things that we're waiting for are, are not as pleasant. You know, again, as I, as I read history and I read, read World War II stories, and specifically I, I enjoy reading about D-Day, and I'm, I'm always amazed at those men as they stormed the beaches at Normandy. And I think I've told you before, but I can honestly tell you I can never stand on a beach. When we go to the beach in the summer, every year as I stand on the beach, my mind reflects on those, those men as they crashed that beach, in, in Omaha Beach and Utah Beach and Gold and Sword and Juno Beaches. And you know, as you read stories about those men, as the time drew near for that event, for a lot of them, their minds were focused on their future, on God, on were they going to live, were they going to die. You know, I'm not saying that they all got saved or anything like that, but when, when that hour comes near, our, our focus gets a lot sharper. And, you know, as I re re read uh, stories about that, for some of those men, they just wanted to get it over with. We've been building up to this, building up to that. I can't take the stress. Let's just do it. Well, for the Lord, the hour has come. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. His whole life has pointed to this event. And now the hour is, it's time for him to do what he came to do. And what is his prayer? His prayer is not, you know, don't, don't let this happen. No, what is his prayer? Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. The purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ is to glorify God in his death, in his finished work of redemption. 
the greatest desire on his heart is to glorify the Father in all that he is about to do. The hour has come. We've been pointing to this hour and pointing toward this hour. Things have been, you know, ratcheting up till this hour. The hour has come for him to be offered as a sacrifice for, for our sin. And his desire is to glorify God in that offering for sin. You know, in this work of in this work that he is doing, he has authority from the Father. Look at verse 2. As you have given him authority all, over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. The, Jesus Christ has been given the authority from the Father to give life unto all who are his. Remember what he said, I come to give life and to give it more abundantly. And, and this life that he gives to us is eternal life. And it is found only by knowing God and by knowing the one whom, who, who he sent, Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How can I have eternal life? I need to know God. I need to know the one that he sent. I need to know that what he came to do is the only way that I have eternal life. That his death on the cross is the only door to eternal life. Christ has glorified the Father here on this earth by completing the redemptive plan. And this redemptive plan involves his sacrificial death and resurrection. And that work is about to be completed. The hour has come. You know, with the completion of this redemptive work, Christ's prayer is that he might be glorified again with the Father. Look at verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which, which I had with you before the world was. You know, with, with the redemptive work, about to be completed, Christ's prayer is that he might be once again glorified with the Father, as he had been from eternity past. Before he, as Paul says in Philippians 2, voluntarily humbled himself to become the, the God-man and to die for our sins. But even this request is not self-seeking. For as the Son of Man, he is our mediator. And his glorification is really not for himself alone. It, it, it puts him in the position of honor and authority in the presence of God. And from that glorified position, he then intercedes on our behalf. Well, next week we'll get into this and we'll dig more into the, these first five verses. But the first request of the Lord here in this great prayer is he prays for himself. Look at the second request. In verses 6 through 19, we see his second request is for his disciples. Our, our Lord's concern is for his followers who are to be left behind, who are to carry on his ministry. And uh, we want to take note of the request for his disciples. And really, I see two requests that he makes on behalf of his disciples. The first request is found in verses 6 through 15, and he prays for their security. He prays for their security. 
And he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. And we see that that he knows the truth about his men. In fact, what did he tell them at the end of chapter 16? The hours come. You you think your faith, you think your commitment is strong, but the truth of the matter is, guys, before the night's over, you're all going to falter. You're going to scatter. You're going to be gone, and I'm going to be left alone. Jesus knows that on their own, they will falter. And that's true of all of us. We must be kept not by ourselves. We must be kept by God. We must be kept by his power. And we note the basis of this request. Folks, if our security rests in us, we're in a lot of trouble. We are just like the disciples. We're going to fail. We're going to falter. No, our security rests in God. He is the one that gave them to Christ. They were yours, verse 6. You gave them to me. They kept your word. Uh, you know. And look at verse 8. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Uh, they were given to him by the Father. They, they heard the message. They responded to the message. They are God's own people. And and so the basis of the Lord's request begins with this. They belong to me. They were given to me by you, by the Father. And they responded to what I said. And they are God's own people. And verses 9 through 10, since they are God's own people, they are in the world, but they really belong to God. I pray for them. I do not, verse 9, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. They are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. They, they were given to Christ by God. They heard the word. They believed in him. They became God's people. And since they are now God's people, they are in the world, but they really belong to God. He goes on in verses 11 and 12 to say, I faithfully kept them while I was here. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. I've come to you. Holy Father, keep them through your name. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are on. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Christ faithfully kept uh, those who were his while he was here. But now he must leave. What have we been looking at the last few weeks? His time of departure is at hand. And, and he prays, And his prayer for these men is this. He's not praying that they be taken out of the world. They need to be here. They need to be the light to the world. They need to share the gospel to the world. Jesus prays not that they would be taken out of the world, but in verses 13 through 15, we see, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. He he puts them in the Father's hands in verses 11 and 12. And that brings us to the request, which we see in verses 13 through 15. And again, it's not the request does not take them out of the world, but notice the request. I now come 
to you, verse 13, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray, look at, look at the request, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. The request is not, God, take them out of it. This world is so wicked. This world is so terrible. Take them out of this world. No, they need to be here. They need to be a light to the world. They need to share Christ. They need to share the gospel. The same is true for us, but this is specifically for these disciples. And Jesus specifically prays, keep them from the evil one. Well, who's that? Well, the evil one is Satan. He's the one who rules over this world system. He's the prince of the power of the air. He, you know, he is ruling in this world. And Jesus says, keep them from him. Protect them from Satan. But he also prays, uh, verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not in the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, the, the, he also prays that his disciples be kept from the, from the evil that is so prevalent in this world system. You know, the security of Christ's disciples here is put very squarely in the hands of the Father. Think about that. The security of these men is placed in the hands of the Father. And certainly... Certainly, God the Father is going to be faithful to his responsibility. Have you ever, ever been given charge over something? Whether it's a possession, maybe it's even a child or whatever it may, and, and someone puts them in your keeping. It is your responsibility to, to watch over uh, that that item that individual that company whatever it's i put it in your hands sometimes as people we're faithful to the task we try to be sometimes we may fail but here the security of christ's disciples is placed in the hands of god the father and certainly he's faithful to his responsibility think about it for one to be lost, the Father, God the Father, must neglect those that have been committed to him. And if that were to happen, the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ here in John 17 goes unanswered. Now, I'm just here to tell you that's not possible. That's not possible. He prays for their security. The second thing that he prays for as far as his disciples is concerned is their sanctification he says in verse we find that in verses 16 through 19 they are not of the world just as i'm not of the world sanctify them by your truth your word is truth his request for these disciples who are left in the world is that they might must be kept secure yes but also they must be sanctified now, we use the word sanctified in the church a lot, and, and you probably know what it means, but let me just refresh our memory. The word sanctify means to be set apart. And, and here Jesus says, set them apart from the world system. Set them apart unto yourself. 
We must be set apart from this world. We must be set apart unto God. We have to live here. They are living in the world, but they are set apart unto God. And I want you to notice what it is that's going to set them apart. Verse 17, sanctify, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. They're, these disciples are living in the, a world, a world that hates them, a world that's hostile to them. They, they are set apart unto God, and it is God's truth set forth in God's word that sets them apart. And so they must be committed to the truth of God which is set forth in his word. You know, they have to be committed to the word of God. But notice in verses 18 and 19, they are not only set apart, but according to verses 18 and 19, they are also to be sent ones. And you have, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Christ said, I am sending them out into the world with the gospel. They are my ambassadors. And so to carry out their mission, the disciples had to live in this world as those who were set apart unto God. They are his ambassadors. They are his representatives. They are living in this evil world as godly ones, set apart to God. And again, it's God's word that sets them apart. You know, I know we're talking about the disciples here. We're going to talk about ourselves here in just a moment. But notice again what it is that sanctifies. It's the word of God. And they need to stay committed to the truth of the word of God. Folks, why is it essential for us to be in the Word, you know, systematically, daily, continually? Why is it essential for us to do that? Why is it essential for us to know the Word? Why is it essential for us to obey the Word? Because the only way we're going to be able to live for God in an evil world, and this world is getting more evil every day, if you, if you will, the only way that we're ever going to live for God in an evil world is to stick true, stick true to the Word of God, <clears throat> the things of God. And that means we need to know it. We need to read it. We need to understand it. And we need to obey it. I think too many Christians uh, are, quote-unquote Christians maybe even, too many Christians are living... Uh, in this world, but they're not sanctified because they're not in the Word of God. And so they're, they're kind of like James. They're kind of wavering back and forth. And, you know, when, you know when, when I feel like it, I'm going to go to church. When I feel like I'll read my Bible. And, you know, and they go along with the flow of the world. They, they have trouble standing for the things of God. Because they're not in the Word of God. These disciples were going to face incredibly difficult days. You know, when you read the history of the disciples, each one of them is going to be martyred for their faith. As they face that, Christ says to them, you are my ambassadors, and the only way you're going to carry out my mission is stick to the Word. Be committed to the truth. Well, we'll get into that more in a couple weeks Let's look at the last request. 
In John 17, verses 20 through 26, we see that Jesus' prayer now goes beyond these immediate disciples to include all those who would believe on Christ because of the witness of these disciples. And so he prays, third, for all who will will believe. And notice the request that Christ makes for all of his followers. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, just for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And we are, are part of that. We are still responding to the word the disciples have laid down. And, you know, as we pass it on and, and our children pass it on and, and whatever. And notice the request. The first request is for unity. Verse 21, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Our Lord desires and he prays for oneness among his followers. And the oneness for which he prays is a oneness like that which exists in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are totally united. That means there has to be a unity of purpose. There has to be a unity of will. There has to be a oneness, a single-mindedness that is unknown in the sinful, self-centered world. We need to have a single purpose as believers. We need to glorify God. We want to glorify God in our life. We want to share Christ with our world. We have to have this single-minded purpose that we are going to live our lives in such a way that is going to bring glory to God. And in verse 22, we see that, that this oneness is the dynamic, really, of our witness to the world. The glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as, as we are one. Christ has redeemed us to bring us into fellowship with God and being one with God brings us into oneness with all those who belong to him. And in this oneness, there then is a wholeness. And, and in this genuine unity, there is a powerful testimony to an unbelieving world. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Folks, it's a sad, sad day when the world sees Christians fighting and bickering among one another. When the world looks at the church and there's no unity in the church, where we're all looking for our own deal, you know, we, we live in this sinful, self-centered world. We, we have that old nature within us, and sometimes we get caught up in ourselves, and we want church to be this, and we want the church to do that, and we want the church to do the other thing, and we lose that single-minded purpose because we're all doing our own thing. And Christ says, the world notices the unity that is among my followers. And he prays for Christ is interceding for us that we might be one. And then finally, he prays for their glory. Verses 24 through 26. His final request has to do with God's ultimate purpose. His redemptive plan is aimed at our reconciliation with him. He says, Father, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. 
and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prays here that all of his followers, us included, will be with him and that we might behold his glory. Folks, God made man so that we might dwell together with him, that we might live in light of his glory. Why did Jesus come down to this world? Yes, he came down to die on the cross. That's the ultimate purpose. But he came down to this world to reveal God to man, to make God known. And those who know him are going to live with him then in light of his glory. And so Jesus prays here that God's eternal plan and purpose might now be brought to completion. God's love has designed this plan that that brings us into a relationship with him where, where we are reconciled unto God, where we dwell internally in his presence, where we live in the light of his glory. And his glory is then shared with us and his love is manifested in us and Christ dwells in us. And all that occurs when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So Christ prays that we might be kept, that we might be secure, that we might be set apart unto God, even though we are living in a vile, wicked, evil world that hates us, that is hostile toward us, that persecutes us. Christ says, keep them. And he prays that we might be one in him. And that we might ultimately be with him and live in his love and in the light of his glory. You know, one day, that's all going to come true. That's all going to come to pass. This evil world's going to be gone. And you're going to face eternity. And we don't know when that will be for any, any of us. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be next week, could be 30 years from now. But the question is, are we ready for that day? Do we truly know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life when you admitted to God that you were a sinner, you were separated from him, and the only thing that you can do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross? If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. But if you have, Christian, please know you are kept secure by God. We are in the hands of the Father. Even though we live in an evil world, we are in the hands of the Father. And we need to be in this book. We need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to to guide and direct and teach us and illuminate us. That's the only way we're going to stand fast against the evil of this world. That's the only way we're going to be able to live that separated life. Left to ourselves, we're going to probably fall. But we need to be in God's word and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our life. We need to look different than the world. We need to act different than the world. We need to talk different than the world. We are set apart unto God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful prayer. And over the next few weeks, as we dig into it a little bit deeper, I just pray that it will become real to us. Lord, teach us how to pray. Many of us struggle in the area of prayer. And Lord, help us to to 
learn to be prayer warriors, if you will. Lord, thank you for the the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And I pray that each one here and listening to me knows Christ as their Savior. And if they don't, that today they would put their faith and trust in you. And for those of us who are saved, Father, may we live for you. May we walk with you. May we love your word. May we be set apart unto you as we live in an evil world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.